Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 273. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lendit Fintech LATAM. The region's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online on December 8th and 9th. Pandemic or not, LATAM is still the hottest region for fintech in the world. And Lendit Fintech LATAM features all the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community online this year where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lendit Fintech. Lending and Banking Connected. Sign up today at lindit.com slash LATAM. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Manuel Silva. He is the general partner at Moro Capital. Now, Moro Capital, you may know them as their former name, Santander Innoventures. Well, they've not just rebranded, but they've done a, a spin out of this, which we, we talk about on the show. But the main reason I wanted to get uh, Manuel on was to really talk about the Latin American fintech space. He has a deep experience here, been doing investments for many years, some of the more successful companies in the region. So you know, we, we talk about the Latin American region, why it's so interesting, why there's been such a surge in fintech uh, in recent years. Uh, we talk about some of the big companies in the region. We talk about how some of the big platforms like Mercado Libre are coming in. We talk about the different uh, regions where there's entrepreneurial activity and, uh, and the future of Latin American fintech. It was a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Manuel. Uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I'd like to get this thing started by giving the listeners uh, a little bit of background about yourself. Why don't you give us some of the career highlights, tell us where you're from, that sort of thing. Yes, no, of course. Uh, so yeah, Manuel Silva, general partner at Moro Capital. Before that, Santander InnoVentures. Before that, BBV Ventures. So as you would imagine, I'm Spanish, highly indexed in kind of corporate VC world in, uh, in the Spanish banks, uh, California, London now. And yeah, now leading more capital, which is, uh, you know, we'll talk about it in a second, but which is an independent VC focused on fintech. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And wh- where are you from originally? The easy answer is Madrid. <laughs> Madrid. Nobody, nobody's really from Madrid. So there's a longer answer that involves all the, <laughs> okay. All the regions. Okay, we'll leave it at that. That's okay. Okay, so you know, people, are, we we've known Santander Interventures for many years. You guys have been very active in fintech, and then. Uh, from what I understand, you spun out the the corporate VC or the, um, from the bank and rebranded. What was the thinking behind that move? That's right. Um, yeah, and I would say the rebrand is is kind of the least of the changes. I think the the more important one, as you as you reference, is is a spinning out. Uh, and really, the thinking was was really about alignment and about being competitive in a market that's increasingly competitive. Right at the end of the day, now in our current format. We make our own decisions on the investment side, and we have, uh, you know, much more aligned incentives with our portfolio. Which effectively, what that means is that uh, entrepreneurs feel that we're much more on their side, and and nobody kind of questions the fact that you know maximizing return is our main priority, which helps be, I say, more competitive, faster, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right, right. So people, like entrepreneurs, will feel comfortable that more comfortable that you're not just doing this because the bank wants to get the tech. That's exactly right. And I think over time, I mean, we're, we're working on that quite a bit with our existing portfolio, but over time, you see that our, our value proposition to these entrepreneurs 
are going to be much more focused on them and not only on the relationship that they can establish with with Santander as it was in the past. Right, right. So are you, are you like, I, I, from my understanding of Santander Interventions, it was Santander was the sole investor, the, the, the 1LP. Is that still the same or are you taking on more investors? No, that, that is still the same. But now I would say Santander is an LP, meaning they behave as such. So uh, right. before we're, we're basically a subsidiary of the bank. Right, right. Got it. Got it. Okay. So maybe you know you can talk about the investment focus. I mean, what what are the regions you're focused on? What are the types of companies? That sort of thing. Yeah, no, of course. So, you know, over the years, uh, both personally and, and, and in the previous project here, we, we've built a, a fintech specialism and, and I think that's really what we want to stick at. So, you know, we're, we're primarily fintech investors, enterprise, uh, direct-to-consumer, so both sides, uh, you know, really think about the whole value chain. So, you know, within fintech, we'll touch pretty much anything. Uh, but we think, it, we think it's important to be, to be specialized, to be able to, A, understand businesses, early and be help entrepreneurs with that, uh, you know, that extra piece of knowledge and connections and network that is oftentimes the most complicated one in such a, in such a regulated industry. Now, in addition to that, we're, we're expanding our investment mandate and, and kind of our thesis to, to try and, and not only cover kind of where the industry is at now, but also kind of what's coming next, right? Mm-hmm. The result of that, I mean, we're big believers in, you know, in, in reinventing fintech infrastructure. We're big believers in new uh, financial products that may emerge as a result of, you know, societal changes. So we're, we're very, you know, kind of looking at things that are more fundamental. And probably you'll see us invest a little bit outside of fintech, not for the sake of it, but mostly because we think there's a strong connection between finance and many other industries, you know, mobility, right. logistics, uh, education, maybe health as well, that we want to explore from a financial services angle. So right. very much relevant to the future of the industry, but maybe a little bit expanded to what uh, people may have been used to in the past. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I know that, you know, Zach from Plaid said at our Lended event a few weeks ago that, you know, really every every company is a fintech or what he, what he clarified, what he meant was that everybody uses like fintech in their business because every single company has a finance operation and they want to make it more efficient. They want to make it more high tech. So, you know, whether it's just a, a you know, a banking app or, or a payroll app or something like that, there's, there's, there's often a fintech component now to every business. And, and just on that, it, it's interesting because that resonates very well with our thesis. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're going back a lot to the utility of finance and financial services as opposed to the products per se. So, right. you know, I've always thought that, I mean, you know, nothing very novel, but, you know, that people don't really wake up in the morning wanting a new card or a mortgage. What they want is, what does that enable me to do that I couldn't right. do today, right? And at the end of the day, if you look at everything from that perspective, you know, 100% agree with Zach, but also it opens up, you know, as the economy changes and as new industries emerge and as, you know, covid changes the way people behave. If you look at things from that lens, we'll try and spot also kind of what are those emerging spaces where utility can be brought through the lens of financial services through the bank. Right, right. The experience, right, right. And then so what geographic regions are you are you interested in? Um, what are some of the regions that you have investments in right now? Yeah, so on that front, we'll stick also to what we used to do in the past, which is pretty, I mean, pretty broad, as you would imagine. So we, we've traditionally invested across the Americas, so Latam and North America and Europe with a strong focus, of course, in London. And then we have a few investments in, in Israel. And I think we'll, I mean, we'll stick to that. I mean, th- theoretically, we could invest elsewhere and we'll look at things that we know uh, maybe elsewhere, but we'll probably stick to that. You know, most of our current portfolio is in the US. I mean, I, I think a slight majority. 
And then as I was saying, in London, in Europe, it's mostly London. We're looking at other ecosystems in Europe that are, you know, creating companies that are really interesting and that may be, you know, better priced, actually, than when you find in London. Uh, and then LATAM, which, you know, I know it's part of the conversation. LATAM is, is a fascinating part of the world that we, we've known for a long time. We have a couple of investments in Brazil, a couple of investments in Mexico, and uh, very excited about the region. Right, right. Yeah, I do want to talk about LATAM here uh, in, in some depth. So let's, uh, you know, maybe we can kick it off just by giving your your thoughts on, on you know, Latin American fintech. Uh, you know, why, obviously it's been, it's been a challenging year for many companies, but also others have, have done quite well. Why don't you just give it, how, how have you seen the, the pandemic impacting the, the, the region in, um, you know, the, fin, the fintech companies in the region? Yeah, well, I would say probably it's not 100, but I mean, it's, it's quite similar to what you've seen elsewhere. So at the end of the day, you know, certain parts of the real economy have been stressed. Digital economy has gone up. You know, access to capital markets has been maybe a little bit more challenging. Lenders have seen a little bit more of, uh, you know, non-performing loans. I mean, all, all that is pretty common to all the, geographies we invest in, and LATAM is no, I would say is no different. I think nevertheless, uh, LATAM really comes from very, very, very strong fundamentals when it comes to, you know, the opportunity that was kind of evolving even before COVID and through COVID. And so my, my hope is that things will continue being like that, right? So if you think about LATAM or from a fundamentals perspective, it's a deeply underserved, you know, region from a kind of digital financial products perspective. And that's why most of the large companies that people would know about in LATAM are actually kind of direct-to-consumer propositions that are not really super far away from what banks should be offering, but they just do it better and they just do it in, in a much more kind of, you know, contemporary way, if you will, right? I mean, the, you know, the, the interest rates across the region that are still very high have allowed for a lot of these models to be much more resilient, which which is good. So, you know, are, are actually... All our, well, actually, yeah, all, all our companies there are lenders uh, and they will perform actually extremely well just because they have a lot of cushion given the interest rate situation to, to take a little bit more uh, losses. Or so. so the models are quite resilient. And then similarly, I mean, we're, we're excited about our latest investment there, a company called A55, which lends to the digital economy. You know, that is a living proof that digital is booming over there uh, and that the shift to e-commerce and, and, and mobile experiences is booming and that the opportunity is really shifting towards that, right? So, so very positive generally about everything that's happening in the reason despite COVID. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I've, I've talked to a few of the CEOs in the region uh, in recent weeks, and, you know, there's, there, there's concern that, you know, there is some investors, particularly outside investors, are, are kind of putting a wait and see as far as new investments go into new companies. Have you have you noticed a decrease in uh, you know in outside you know, VC investment into the region? I would say yes, yes, and no. So maybe maybe there's a different way of responding to that. So you know, if you look at the recent years in Latam, I think I feel there has been a lot of very uh, you know an educated capital coming in, right? For, again, for lack of a better word, uh, and by an educated, I mean you know the dynamics of the markets in Latam, especially the two big markets, which is where most of the foreign capital has gone, Brazil and Mexico. The dynamics of, that, of those two countries are very, very specific, and you need to really have a thesis and understand how the how the market works. Otherwise, you you may just fall into a little bit of a cookie cutter type of strategy, right? And so, I feel that over the past few years, there has been a lot of capital that didn't really think much about the region, that were just trying to find commonalities between things that have worked elsewhere and things that were emerging then have invested like that, right? So, I think some of that capital naturally, because there may be less 
you know, versed in, in the region, they're the ones who have withdrawn. Right. And so, you know, on a statistical basis, it is true that there's less inflow of capital. But I would say on a quality basis, that means that the people who really bet and understand the market are the ones staying there, right? Which I think for the entrepreneurs, that's actually good news because that means that there's probably way less they need to explain to whoever is interested in investing in the region because they, they have a strong thesis and they believe in it, right? Uh, I think the other thing, just to answer your question is, I feel there has been a concentration and a flight to quality Right. in that foreign capital coming through, right? So we've seen, you know, the likes of Kavak in Mexico reaching great valuations. We've seen, uh, you know, uh, CLAR, a new bank in Mexico that we invested in, just gotten money from NASPERS. It was, you know, one of the largest, uh, I guess it's a series B rounds in, in Mexico the year. So there's still uh, foreign capital coming, but I think they're very picky and they just uh, are somehow condensing around the best opportunities as opposed to be a little bit more of an equalizer of, maybe some opportunities. Right, right. So. right. Yeah, we certainly have seen some, you know, some large funding rounds uh, in, in this year. But I, I'm wondering about like the, you know, one of the things that we notice is th- there's a lot of entrepreneurial activity. There's a lot of new companies that are still pretty small. Do you think they're going to find it harder to, you know, to attract capital now that some of the other players have left or, or, or say left, have put, it, put their investments on hold? That's a good question. I, honestly, I don't know. What, what, what I would say is the local early stage ecosystem has sophisticated over the years, right? Okay. And I think they've reached a point where some of the local funds that are naturally more resilient because A, they're local, and B, you know, oftentimes in their own kind of investment policy, they can only invest locally. So, you know, there's nothing else they can do anyway. Some of those guys have raised much larger funds than they used to have. They've professionalized, et cetera. So I, I guess the availability of early stage capital, but that's what you're referring to, is much higher than it used to be like six or seven years ago. So I, I feel maybe, you know, there's going to be less of a shortage of that just because of the bigger funds that have, have matched to raise from international LPs in this case, right? Right, right. So, and then also, you know, it's still true that, I mean, in, interestingly enough, it's less true now that it used to be, but it's still much cheaper to build a company in Latam than in, than in many other places of the world. So, right. You, know, you you can get a business up and running with three or four million dollars where you may need, you know, ten times that in Silicon Valley just to get to the same point, right? So right. The capital goes a much longer way. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. And what about exits? We haven't seen a lot of exits in in LATAM yet. Is that I mean, what do, what do you feel? I mean, obviously you're you're an investor yourself. Do you think that uh, we're going to see exits soon? Or what's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that, that has been the pending question of the region uh, and, and, you know, all, in other regions in the world. I mean, I don't think it's unique to LATAM, but it's true that, you know, each time I pitch LATAM to, you know, outside, you know, LPs or to people who are just interested in more the institutional, they always say, you know, where are the exits, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm positive on that as well for a number of reasons, right? I think, I think that there's a, few, there's a few companies that have reached a point where, they could be candidates for more of a public markets exit. Uh, and I think hopefully that's going to create a little bit of a, of a snowball effect in a positive way to, to you know, make markets more receptive and also investors in the public markets more receptive to this kind of new asset class. And, and in particular, I think in Brazil, you don't need to educate the market about the, you know, tech companies. You know, there's a few examples, Stone and a few others that have been quite successful there. So. I think, uh, but, you know, interestingly enough, uh, I think there may be a little bit more of a consolidation play as well, where some of the larger 
fintechs maybe starting or you know or other platforms maybe starting to buy and so the exit may not necessarily be through public markets but more from a from a platform and consolidation perspective mm-hmm. uh, so i think it's still early days but but i think that can drive an interesting movement where you know where, where actually the you know that, that can actually impact the competitive landscape in the region quite interestingly i would say right right Right. Okay. So when, when you look at the region itself now and, you know, across, you know, not just Mexico and Brazil, but across the other countries in the region, what, are, what do you see as some of the, the most interesting trends that you're watching? From a, from a geographic perspective? From a- just from, in a, from a fintech perspective. What, what, what's happening in fintech that, you're, that you think is, uh, is really interesting? Yeah. So I think maybe a couple of things uh, that I think are interesting, maybe two or three things. I would say that the first one that I think is really interesting is that finally companies are starting to have more of a regional ambition than they used to have. So, you know, mm-hmm. back not that long ago, the story of LATAM was really the story of Brazil for Brazil and Mexico for Mexico, and then the rest was kind of non-existent. Right? And I've always had the theory that the smaller countries, which have, you know, very good talent uh, and that don't have large markets, they will start creating regional companies and we're starting to see that. And also we're starting to see the larger companies in Brazil, uh, you know, Argentina, Mexico, Chile, to a lesser extent, start being more regional and expanding. And, you know, so I think, I think the regionalization of FinTech, I think is, is a trend that we'll, we'll see over the next two or three, four years that I think I'm, 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 I'm really excited about because that's when you're really going to start seeing well-run companies have a very, very large critical mass and really change competitive dynamics, right? That's one thing. The other, a couple, a couple of things that I'm also in. Well, there's one thing I'm interested in, and one thing I'm inquisitive about. I'm, I'm a big SME finance or SME fintech supporter, and I think Latam is moving little by little towards that piece of the market, which I think is is really interesting because the data play may be a little bit more interesting, the economics are better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think the next thing to watch for is probably. Uh, you know, SME fintech and mid-cap fintech, which uh, which is a little bit new. And I think the part that I'm a little bit more inquisitive about is whether there's going to be or not an emergence of enterprise fintech in LATAM, right? Meaning a lot of the, most of the companies we know over there are companies that are, are great at adapting a foreign business model, adapted locally, make it work. But at the end of the day, a lot of the building blocks from the technology perspective are imported building blocks, right? I think at some point that needs to shift and there needs to be infrastructure fintech being built for the region. And, and I hope that's the case. Uh, and, but, you know, I think it's still early to, to see, but, you know, definitely if anyone listening to the podcast is innovating there, they should definitely reach out to us because we're really interested in that. And we're okay. big believers that local, local players will be the local winner. Right. So you, you, think, you think it's more going to come locally than from, say, the plaids of the world, marketers of the world coming in, coming into LATAM and, uh, and I, making I a presence think, there? I think so. I mean, you know, if I've learned something LATAM over the 15 years that I've been traveling and doing business there, and a lot of it is kind of in, in venture or in investing, is that understanding the, the, the market dynamics and having access to regulators and to executives, et cetera, et cetera, that makes a total difference. And I think it's really tough. Right. I need to take a plane and travel 12 hours. I think that's really tough. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about scale. And so I want, I want to talk about the, the fintech that probably has uh, the, one of the largest in, in the region, New Bank. And they, it's interesting that they are, you know, they're acquiring companies now, they're expanding their offerings. They're almost sort of, you know, becoming a platform. And I just read they've got 30 million customers now. 
uh, which is you know, staggering more than any other fintech in uh, in the US or Europe. So, what are your thoughts on you know, on, on digital banking? You know, New Bank being obviously the clear leader there, and their sort of their their play. It seems to me, anyway, to become like a, a banking platform almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to respond to that, I would go back to kind of an earlier comment about you know, the utility of finance, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think the natural evolution of, of you know, new banks is to really be an ecosystem where a user can find utility to love our needs. And so, you know, whether you call it a platform or whether you call it ecosystem, but at the end of the day, it's really, it's really about having a very high share of wallet with a particular customer and, and you know, creating data synergies and creating like a rich data environment so that the products are even better and more kind of relevant for the client. Uh, it's about capturing that entire relationship to the extent possible, right? So, so what they're doing makes, makes total sense because at the end of the day, you know, if there are things out there, uh, A, why would you reinvent them? And B, if you can pick them up and kind of erase a piece of the competition, then you may as well, right? I mean, thankfully, they, they've reached levels of valuation and levels of cash generation that make them, you know, very healthy and very capable of actually doing these type of transactions. So, so why not, right? Right. But I think, you know, I think that's kind of where the market is going. You know, if we, again, if you look at it from the utility perspective, how can you be around the client's experiences and how can you help them holistically as opposed to just offer a very narrow vertical product? Right, right. And speaking of, speaking of, you know, platforms, you know, one company that you've invested in is Creditus. And I, I, I had Sergio on the podcast earlier this year, um, the CEO, and, uh, you know, they really interesting to me because, they, you know, they they started off as a consumer lender and they've done really well. They've got they've got they've got you know decent scale now and and now they're they're they're, they're the company that you know, they're going off into other areas really you know, unrelated to lending. And I'd love to get your take on how you see that. I mean, it's a slightly different approach to what New Bank's doing, but it's still sort of this you know broadening of their offering. Yeah, no, but at the end of the day, I, th- I think it's it's exactly that. It's exactly the same the same rationale of, you know, increasing share of wallet and, you know, even from an economics perspective, making your customer acquisition costs more efficient because you can basically you know, sell more products or get more revenue lines from the same interaction and relationship. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the, 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 the logic is the same, even if, as you say, the, the angle they're taking, which is more of a, a credit first, longer term credit, secured credit first angle is a little bit, uh, a little bit different. And the, you know the great thing about Brazil and the region. I mean, Brazil in this case, but the general, the region at large is that there's enough, there's enough market for a number of players to be successful. Right, is- right, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting to me because yeah, particularly with the credit tasks, like I don't see anybody in the in US or Europe doing doing what they're doing. That seems like it's fairly unique. Is that because something specific about Brazil, or is it more about credit tasks? Well, I think it's the. Uh, I mean, without, without putting words in Sergio's mouth, but uh, I think, you know, what's interesting about both companies is that they both started in a niche that was really underserved and, and, and you know, they, they, they became winners there and then expanded, right? And so what, one thing that we were interested when we invested in Creta as, I want to say three years ago, three and a half years ago, is that the product that they were launching, which, you know, could be equivalent in the US to a HELOC or an equity release product or... Now, that, that product per se was just non-existent. And you know, Sergio, who was, who was a Spaniard as well, but he had a lot of experience in, in the US when he was at BCG over there, 
you know, he just saw how that product works in a country like, like the US and landed in Brazil and said, well, you know, there's nothing like that. And so at the end of the day, what he went for is for a niche strategy where he said, well, you know, I'm just going to dominate this, which he did, and then I'm going to expand from that. So I, th I think the, oftentimes what, what drives this model is the uniqueness just kind of extrapolating is, is the uniqueness of the fact that, you know, in the US and Europe, the new, you know, the upcoming fintechs are kind of born in a hyper-saturated market where every single product is very highly served. Right. Whereas in that time, you still have those niches where you can start, dominate the market, create a great business, and then expand from there using the early success as a funder for your own growth elsewhere. Right. And I think that dynamic is unique to, to the region. Yeah, and that's, I think that's one of the really exciting things about the region because you could got, you've got companies that can reach decent scale pretty quickly and with lower cost, as you say, then you can, then you can do that in the U.S., I want to talk about the you know, some of the bigger players in the region, like um, you know companies that, that traditionally weren't in financial services that are entering. You've got Mercado Libre, which is you know the Amazon really of, of Latin America, have have multiple offerings now in the financial services. Uh, you've got Rappi, which has sort of started as a delivery app, and now they're doing a whole range of of different uh, different things in finance. I mean, is you know you've got obviously big banks are starting to kind of you know, innovate as well. What's the biggest challenge for fintechs, do you think? Is it is it the Rappies and Mercado Libres? Is it the big banks or is it something else? No, I think the, the challenge is, is kind of all of the above, right? It's, it's reading through a very fast moving market, a market that's changing very, very, uh, very quickly. And where, you know, through the, you know, through the magic of, you know, embedded finance infrastructure, if you will, you know, anybody who has a large customer base and an installed customer base can get into your into your industry, right? So I think if you look at fintech, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, kind of the, the rules of the game in each vertical which were clear, right? So either you're a lender and then you compete against the lenders and that's what you do, or you're a transactional company, payments company, and that's what you do, right? Whereas now the issue is you have all these platforms that have massive customer bases and, and basically the, the barrier of entry from them to jump from their industry into yours is actually lowered through you know, data and, and, and the kind of infrastructure that powers fintech these days, right? So I think you know, there's a lot of things happening and probably if, if I was, if I was you know, a new entrepreneur trying to build my next fintech in LATAM, what I would be worried about or spending a lot of time in, on is trying to refine my read of the market to see how these tectonics changes may apply right. to me and where, and where my niche that today seems like a great opportunity, how resilient that is in the future and where other opportunities on the other side may, may emerge, right? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, speaking of that, I mean, like, are you seeing, you know, lots of new startups still happening? Are new opportunities coming across your desk from the region pretty regularly? I mean, and, and if so, what, what kind, is it still Mexico and Brazil or, or where, is, where is the entrepreneurial activity happening? So there's maybe like three things that we're seeing recently. So we're seeing kind of the smaller market versions of things that have worked in Mexico and Brazil. So, you know, the Peruvian neobanks, the Colombian lenders, the Chilean, whatever, right? So, so we're seeing kind of the, you know, the, that, that version, which, you know, again, may or may not be that interesting depending on how regional, how big the market they want to address is. So that, that's still in existence. I mean, I think that in the bigger markets, what we're seeing that I think is interesting is, you know, aside from a little bit more of, a, of an SME flavor to the market, which again, I, I'm, I particularly appreciate, there's also to be more sophistication on the infrastructure side of things, right? Uh, and it's a little bit like what, 
what we've seen maybe in Silicon Valley or to some extent in Europe, which is, you know, everything started with direct-to-consumer propositions where the entrepreneur needs to build everything end-to-end because there's not nobody who's able to service them or give them the technology or the processes they need. And then as you start having niches that are more dense, uh, you start having the ability to create back-end services, back-end infrastructure that helps you and helps all these different uh, you know, lenders, neobanks, et cetera, et cetera, be more efficient. And so what we're seeing is more and more drive to that kind of backend infrastructure that I think is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. We're almost out of time, but a couple of, a couple of other things. Um, you, you've talked about SME lending. You said it's something that you find personally really interesting, and I, I, I do as well. It's one of my, you know, I feel like it's, it, it's something that fintech has really served the world, served the small business owner very, very well by providing uh, easier access to capital. I mean, what... What are the the things you're looking at there that, I mean, is, you know, we've seen small businesses just decimated here in the US, across Europe. There's been so many, so many challenges. I mean, are fintech lenders in the SME space in, you know, are are they stepping up in the region? Because obviously there's not as much government support as there has been in, say, in in Europe or the US. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there has been a little bit, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, that, that is still a temporary matter. I think if you want to build a company that, you know, that's going to be big in the long term. You need to think more about fundamentals. And I think the fundamentals in SME lending are around, um, you know, integration into processes and it's about, it's about data, right? So, so for example, the, you know, just, just to take that as an example, so A55, our latest investment in Brazil, they do a kind of a revenue-based lending to SMEs in the digital economy. So it's all about understanding recurrence, it's about understanding payments, it's about integrating the flow, it's about speed of delivery, speed of underwriting, et cetera, et cetera. I think in things like that, there is an opportunity because you get the best of you know, lending and you know, a, good, a good team that knows how to access capital markets. And then on the other side, you get the best of technology, right? Mm-hmm. So I think as long as you keep those two things in check, you can build interesting businesses. If you lose any of the two, then you're probably more in trouble or, or you become irrelevant. Right, right, right. Okay, so last question then. Yeah, as we, we close out this year, it's been obviously a challenging year across the world. How do you feel that you're optimistic about LATAM in 2021 and beyond? I mean, how do you feel the region is going to, is it going to continue to develop like it, like it has been? I would say I am optimistic about, I mean, again, I'm optimistic about the region because I, I guess the fundamentals are there and, you know, COVID may last, but at the end of the day, the fundamentals are there, right? I'm definitely optimistic about investing in Atlanta because I think that if you spend the time to do your homework, to understand the market, and if you're you know, an investor like, like I think we are, who like to spend time with entrepreneurs, helping them, giving them, you know, sharing the knowledge that you may have gathered from other markets and, and, and just spending time building companies with them, I think it's a great moment to come in, identify talent and work with that talent to, 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 be, you know, to build a very strong company when things really pick up again, right? So, so I, I am positive on, on, on both those fronts, uh, and I think it's going to be a good year uh, from that perspective. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, Manuel. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Okay, see ya. All right, bye. You know, it's one of the reasons that I, I find Latin America so interesting is, is how uh, Manuel kind of described there where you know, there are still niches that are untapped where companies can come in and really make a sizable company. And obviously that's, that's going to be slowly changing here as more and more companies come in and get scale. But there is such an opportunity there still. And I, I think for, for homegrown players, 
that I think will will become. You've seen New Bank. New Bank is the largest digital bank in the world outside of China, potentially. But uh, it it really has been an amazing success story there, and we're going to see more like that. And uh, obviously, some many of these companies, pretty much all the companies that we talked about here on the show, will be speaking at uh, Lender Fintech Latam coming up here in December eighth and ninth. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech Latam. The region's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online on December 8th and 9th. Pandemic or not, LATAM is still the hottest region for fintech in the world. And Lended Fintech Latam features all the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community online this year, where you'll meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lended Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash LATAM.